Let's jump in. Let me um, open us with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful day and this beautiful setting um, and uh, the opportunity we have to be together here in your creation and be together as those who count themselves among uh, the family of God, who by grace can call each other brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, look to you, our God, as our Father through your only begotten, our Savior Jesus. We pray this morning as we um, delve into this topic of preparing for marriage and family life that uh, you would work in us by your Spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, be among us, working in our hearts and minds to um, help those who are thinking about marriage form a better understanding of, of what it is and how they should be preparing for it. And those of us who are married, that it would be a, a good reminder and maybe even uh, afford us some things that we hadn't thought of before. Uh, we pray that you would be honored above all in our midst today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning I want to uh, kind of get us down in some of the nitty-gritty of preparing for marriage and family life. Later this week, we're going to be hearing a much better and more detailed talk about the building blocks and foundations of a Christian marriage. So this morning, I'm going to focus on practical tips, things to look for, things to look out for, ways to approach and prepare for marriage and family life um, that would help the marriage and family life be more fruitful to the glory of God. The passages we're primarily going to be looking at um, and we'll, we'll look at them throughout the course of this talk, um, are Ephesians 5 and 6, and especially Colossians 3, which um, really spells out in beautiful ways the, uh, the gospel message for marriage and family life. The gospel um, I want to set before you today as a sort of a thesis for this talk, the gospel it's not only the foundation of our marriage, it not only founds our marriages and our family life together, um, the gospel also forms our marriages and our life together as families. So it's not just the foundation upon which we build with whatever materials we want. The gospel is that foundation, but it's also the materials. It's how we build upon it, the way it looks in life. Everything flows out of the fact that, according to the gospel, we died to our sinful selves, and Christ is now our life. Uh, the life of Christ is the life of our marriages and families. So quickly, let's get into it. Um, again, definitions. What is marriage? <clears throat> Uh, marriage is the union of one man and one woman in a covenantal bond. We can say that applies even to non-Christians. Um, even the marriage of non-Christians is an image of the bond between God and His people. Uh, Christian marriage, however, better reflects the better covenant that God has made with His people, that covenant that we have in these last days in Christ. Christian marriage is an earthly image of the mysterious covenant bond in the spirit between Christ and his church. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5.32. This mystery is profound, 
I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So that gospel reality cannot help but found our marriage, but it also forms our marriages. In our marriages, we are called by faith to be living images of God's covenantal love and God's commitment to his people and his people's covenantal love and commitment in response to their God. That reality, that covenantal reality, that vertical reality shapes, forms, grounds our marriages. It's what marriage is all about. And this is why, to get this kicked off in very concrete terms, this is why we as Christians are called to marry in the Lord. That is, to marry someone whose life is also founded upon and being formed by that same gospel that we are founded upon and is forming our lives. That's the starting point I wanted to lay out before you this morning as you're thinking about, some of you are thinking about marriage, um, preparing for marriage and family life. This is crucial. This is a non-negotiable according to the Word of God. If you are preparing for marriage, if you want to have a Christian marriage and family, take seriously the commandment of God not to be what Scripture calls unequally yoked. Whenever believers in Scripture married unbelievers, the danger was always there and often came to pass that the unbeliever would lead the believer away from the Lord into idolatry. And even if it didn't, even if they managed to maintain their, their faith and persevere in the faith married to an unbeliever, their marriage isn't being formed in the gospel the way it should. At best, it's only being halfway formed in terms of the gospel. So start there. Um, marry. If you're preparing for marriage, if you're planning on being married one day, start there and make the commitment to yourself that I'm going to listen to my Savior, I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to only look at those who are also in the Lord, who are also believers. But now let's um, take our starting point. You have two believers who are preparing for marriage. How should they prepare for it? Given that the Christian marriage and family is founded upon and, and should be formed by the gospel, living out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does that look like? What does it mean practically? Well, let me start with uh, that beautiful scripture, that beautiful passage in Colossians, where we read, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." What I want to focus on in this, the bulk of this talk is just that. The Bible says you have died to certain things and you are alive in Christ to a new reality. And what you need to do when you're preparing for marriage and family life is think about the implications of that. How does that work out? How does it work out in my future marriage that I've died 
to the sinful desires and things of this world, and that I live in Christ by a new spirit and in a different reality. What does that look like? Well, for future husbands and wives, this will mean thinking and talking through, if you've already met that person that you're thinking, I'd like to marry them. Begin talking now. Talk through now what it will mean now and later in your marriage that you have died to sexual immorality. That in Christ crucified you have died to impurity. You've died to those lustful passions. You've died to evil desires. You've died to covetousness, which is idolatry. All of that is from Ephesians 3, 5. As well, you've died to anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lying, Colossians 3, 8 and 9. Scripture says you've died to those things in Christ Jesus. They should not be a regular part of your marriage. They shouldn't feature in your marriages the things that you've died to in Christ. And you need to start thinking about that and talking about that in advance. Especially do some soul searching. Now you might know about, about yourself as a man or as a woman. I have these sinful tendencies. I have, a, I have a tendency toward anger. I need to start getting ahead of that right now because I don't want that to corrupt, spoil my marriage or my, my life with my children. That passage in Colossians, again, sets kind of a, a foundation. It guides us. It, it also means that you'll be thinking and talking through. Maybe it's all about, right now, just be yourself thinking and talking through these things, but later with that other person. Thinking and talking through what it will mean in your marriage to, um, that you have been raised with Christ and that your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? What does that look like, that you've been raised with Christ? It, it's obviously, you've put to death those other things, but what are you putting on? What kinds of things are you putting on? Well, it means you'll be talking about things like bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. And it'll be, it will mean talking about putting on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and letting the peace of Christ reign and rule in your hearts, to which you were called, and, and to be thankful. This is all Colossians 3, 13 through 15. It will involve putting on that new self, that is who you are in Christ, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Colossians 3.10. And that, practically speaking, concretely speaking, you'll be thinking and talking about the fact that you are God's chosen ones. She is God's chosen one. He is God's chosen one. That they are holy and beloved in Christ. And you'll be seeking to put on in Christ the, what Scripture calls compassionate hearts and kindness and humility, and meekness, and patience. Colossians 3.12. See, all of this is preparing for marriage and for family life. 
Now, um, so far I've been stressing, thinking, and talking about these things with one another, or maybe by yourself at this point. Um, but I really want to push that. Talk with one another about these things. If you already have, again, that person, a significant other that you're thinking, perhaps them, or later down the road when you meet that person, openly talk about these things. Don't just rush in blindly thinking, we'll talk about them after we get married. Talk about them now. Be open, be honest, get this stuff out there. You're both in the Lord. You should be thinking about these things now, and you definitely should be talking about these things before you get married. Um, as I said last night, some of us, um, maybe I'm not alone, some of us taking the time to be open and you know, disclose what's in one's mind, what's in one's heart, talk about these things, even to talk about spiritual things, talk about scripture together and, and what it means to you. Some, that's hard for some of us. Um, but scripture says to you, die to self and live in Christ. And Christ doesn't withhold. Christ has shared his heart. He has bore his heart and soul to us. So it's a good idea in advance of getting married to be open and to talk and to share. Men in particular often find this difficult to do. Um, but that is part of what it would mean as a future husband and as a future father, if that's what the Lord is calling you to. That's what it means in part for you to start dying to yourself now. Start dying to your sinful, self-absorbed, self-centered, inward-focused, and independent nature. You'll need to die to that, especially in the context of marriage. But already start thinking about, you need to die to that now. That self-absorbed, withdrawn, I don't talk, I just let her talk. In the context of marriage, you'll really need to die to that. You'll need to talk together about how sexual immorality and anger and lying destroy, like a corrosive acid, the covenant bond of, of trust and love that marriage is. Talk about and be honest about your feelings, your fears, your struggles regarding marriage, regarding this massive venture that you, you hope to enter into. And don't just talk about it, but also listen. Listen to one another. For here is also where putting on part of that you have been raised with Christ, that, that new life, that begins here as well. You've been raised with Christ, so listen to one another. Share and listen to one another. Because it takes being raised with Christ to have the kind of compassionate heart and the kind of kindness and the kind of humility and meekness and patience that you'll need to really honestly, genuinely listen to another person. Really listen and open up and reveal your heart. And in preparing for marriage and family life, even now, especially you young people thinking about this, talk and study and listen to what the Word of God is teaching concerning love and concerning submission. 
Because that's what the Bible calls you to, or will be calling you to in marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Remember and consider the context in which these commands come. For the world and our own sinful hearts have a way of giving meaning to these words that usually contradict and render void what the Spirit is speaking in the Scripture, what He means. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Start talking together, if you're not married, but want to be, start talking together about what biblical submission, that which is fitting in the Lord, what it looks like. In the context of the gospel, begin talking about what that looks like. In contrast to the lording it over type of submission that the, the world practices, or in contrast to the other models that you may have received that aren't necessarily flowing out of the gospel, flowing out of, I've died to myself and I've been risen with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. Talk about what dying to self means with regard to submission. You ladies who are thinking about this, and you men who are thinking about this, talk about what submission means, about turning away from self to embrace the life of another and find one's identity in that other, in that shared life together? Is that not what the Word says? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. What does that mean? Ladies, what did that mean to you? What does that mean for you now that you turned to Jesus Christ and submitted to him as, to your, as, as your Lord? Did it not mean for you that you denied yourself and you followed him? Did you not die to the old life, the old you, that old identity, and embrace this new life, this oneness, this one life now in him, this new identity now in him? But does not the church follow her Lord in everything? Do we not trust him? entrust ourselves to him with our very lives? And are we not willing to place ourselves, as it were, in his loving hands, fully committing ourselves to him? That's what submission looks like. According to the gospel, that's what it looks like. And you can see, if you think about that, what, what it meant for you to embrace Christ and find your life and identity and meaning in and, and following him, you can see how that would play out and reflect in your marriage, that covenantal reality that you enjoy in Christ, how that might play out in your marriage. His life, his call, now yours. You embrace that, that newness and identity, that oneness and identity. You don't think of yourself anymore as just me. Now it's, it's him. This is our life. This is my life moving forward. I follow him. I look to him. I trust him to provide and so on and so forth. That's, 
That's gospel submission. It's not, honey, get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. It's gospel submission is what we're talking about. And then gentlemen. And yeah, gentle men. Talk about what it means to die to yourself and live out that new resurrection life that is yours in Christ in the context of marriage and why it is. Think about already. Start talking to yourself and thinking about why it is that you as men needed in Scripture to be commanded to love your wives and not be harsh with them. I mean, God knows something about us. We may not always want to admit but we need to seriously sit down and think about it and talk about it and listen, listen to what she thinks about it as well. Remember, it's okay, guys, to listen to your future wives or your wives. It's really okay to do that. Um, actually, it's a very good idea to do that. Remembering that she is, after all, for a couple of reasons, she is, after all, a joint heir with you in Christ. She has the Spirit of God as well. So it's good to listen. But also, your wife, future maybe, but your wife in Scripture is given precisely to help you. You would be stupid not to receive that help. You'd be an idiot not to listen to the help that she's seeking to offer you. We men struggle, uh, perhaps more than women. <clears throat> we struggle with the sinful, perceived need to be independent, to be uh, untethered. You've heard the ball and chain analogy, right? We're tied down now. That's, that's the uh, ridiculous, joking way that people talk about marriage sometimes. Guys, if you're preparing for marriage, start now, you have to die to that foolishness. You have to die to that, really, it's practical atheism in the context of marriage. Die to it. When one is called to marriage, one is called to oneness with another. Think about, think about what the gospel is saying to you men. The gospel of the one who came and took on our nature who was not ashamed to be identified with us fully. This is what it means. That gospel is what it means and what it looks like to love your wives. This is, how, this is why I said it's not only the foundation, it forms the way you live in your marriage toward your wives. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Listen to this one. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. As himself. Not as over there, not as separate, not as independent from you, but as yourself. Ephesians 5, You got it. Begin now thinking about the fact that there is no me and you in marriage. There is now and always will be going forward only us. Think now and begin talking together now 
about the reality that you'll need to start speaking and thinking in the first person plural for the rest of your life. And get adjusted to that reality, guys. Forget the man caves and all that nonsense. After all, this woman, as is fitting in the Lord, will be doing what I said earlier in terms of submission. She will be placing her life in your hands. She has already said, I will die to self and embrace this new identity with you. Oneness in Christ. She is willingly binding herself to you and following you, her life bound to yours, her identity bound to yours. And that's a precious gift. Love her and don't be harsh with her. If you get, if you get this now, if you start thinking this way now as you're preparing for marriage, you will better understand what it means to love your wives as yourself. And it will prevent you from being harsh with her or embittered against her as though she were dragging you down or, or robbing you of your precious independency so that you become angry and cruel toward her or abusive or indifferent. Start preparing now to die to yourself and to embrace her in this new resurrection life that you will enjoy together as one in Christ. And then ask yourself, does Christ regret having taken the church to himself as his bride? Does Christ sit there all downcast sometimes, feeling sorry for himself, saying, I wish I could just get away and go back to the way it was? Never. So remember the gospel, brothers. The gospel founds and forms a Christian marriage. Now let's move into parenting. The gospel founds and forms our relationship as parents uh, and children as well. Now contrary to what our Baptist brethren believe about their children, the children of believers are members of the covenant of grace. They are holy unto the Lord, set apart by him in baptism. Whether they are adopted or blood-related, they are members, as we heard last night, of our Christian home. They are co-heirs with Christ, with us, in Christ with us. And that makes a huge difference for how we're going to approach our children, how we're going to be parents toward them. If you understand that's their fundamental identity, that, that changes everything. This is why in Scripture... Children are addressed um, as God's people. Scripture is given to the church. Scripture is primarily addressed to God's people. I mean, all the letters of Paul are letter, letters to churches, for instance. The Old Testament primarily is written to Israel. When the children are addressed, therefore, in the Bible, know that God isn't speaking to pagans. He isn't addressing them as though they were pagans. He is addressing them as those whom he and we should count as seed of the woman, not as seed of the serpent or covenant breakers, 
but as younger members of the church of Jesus Christ who are also called saints in the Lord. This is why when you read like Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See that the context for that is these are covenant children. They're in the Lord. That's what the passage says. You're to treat them as in the Lord, and they're, they're, they're to obey as in the Lord. That's how it's fitting. It wouldn't be fitting if they were pagans, but in the Lord, it's very fitting for them to live this way and for you to instruct them this way. The call to obedience given to children presupposes that they're in the Lord, they're in the covenant. And as in the Lord, they are to obey their parents. And think about that already in terms of what we've already said. For children, that, that command, obey your parents, is the equivalent of what we were saying earlier about die to self. Die to your sinful, stubborn little selves and live out of the resurrection life in Christ in whom your lives are hidden according to the promise of the gospel. Die to your little disobedient Adam nature and live in the obedience of the risen Lord. That's what you parents or future parents ought to be thinking when you're instructing your kids as to why they shouldn't do this and why they should do that instead. It's not because if you, if you, if you do this, it's going to make me mad. That's not the motivation. That's not the ground. Because if you do this, that's out of character. That doesn't belong in the covenant community. That's not how somebody who's died to sin and is risen to newness of life in Christ, ought to live. You ought to be doing this instead. This is how Christians live. This is how people talk and speak and treat each other in heaven. That's your Christian home identity. So parents, or future parents, talk with your covenant children about these things, about how the gospel founds and forms their lives. Future parents, uh, begin talking and thinking about these things as well. Why should your children be called to obedience to their parents? What gospel reality is this reflecting and, and participating in? Tell them about how their obedience is a reflection of and a participation in the obedience of the Son of God to His own Father. They're living it out in their lives. They have this wonderful opportunity to bring glory to his name and show his life in their obedience. They are bearing the image of the Son as they obey their parents. And you parents or future parents, you could be teaching them this. And this is why that kind of obedience pleases the Lord. Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It pleases the Lord. Remember what God said to his son? It's well-pleasing in my sight. This one. And children who are seeking in their obedience to live out that image, and that's what parents are trying to do, help them learn how to live out the image of the son. Children as well who are doing that 
please the Lord. And this, um, parents as well, future parents, this is what's also involved when we're called not to provoke our children to anger or discourage them. It falls upon us to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to treat them as fellow heirs of Christ, whom we are called to instruct as to how they are being formed in Christ's image by the Spirit according to the gospel. We're to lovingly, patiently, as the Father does with us, instruct them by word and by example, by teaching and by correction, what submission to the Father in Christ is all about. What dying to self and living as those whose lives are hidden with Christ is all about. And if we approach our children and our relationship as parents with our children, if that's built upon any other foundation than this, this gospel foundation, if we approach them as though they were not members of the covenant, um, or if we related to the children the way the world relates to its children, the outcome will not be well-pleasing to the Lord. It will not be gospel formation. It won't be conformity to Christ. We'll lose our opportunity to image Christ to them, and they're losing their opportunity to image Christ back to the Father. It will be something entirely different. It will be authoritarianism, play it out in the home, stop doing that because it's noisy and I don't like it. It, it won't be Let's glorify God. So it is um, and should be when you lovingly correct and discipline them. When you accommodate yourself to their needs, think about how God does that for you. You're condescending, as our confession says. You're stooping down. There's something to getting down on eye level with your kid when you're talking to them, correcting them. God does that. He condescended to us. He accommodated himself to our needs, so we do this with our children. He accommodated himself to someone smaller and weaker than himself. We do the same thing. These people that God has given us are completely dependent upon us. Sound familiar? We're completely dependent upon him. And yet, you don't dislike them or love them less because they're so dependent upon you. In fact, you love them more because of it. And it's sometimes hard for parents to let that go. Well, it's the same with God. He doesn't love us less because we're so dependent upon Him. Now, finally, um, I want to move into the section entitled in your outline, The Covenant Community and how it's indispensable as a context for Christian marriage and family life. How much time do I have left? Anybody know? Plenty? Great. All right. Now, um, let's take this whole thing again and, and, and look at it in terms of the covenant community. Look at it in terms of our Christian home. Um, I don't want us to think of marriage or family life in some vacuum. In the church, it, takes, it has the church, the covenant community, as its context. So in terms of the covenant community, we, we need to ask, what part does the whole body play in marriage, our particular marriages and family life? Um, I would argue that the church plays an indispensable part in our individual marriages and families. 
You've often heard the, uh, that oft-maligned uh, saying, it takes a village to raise a child, right? I know, okay, I know how that's been used. It's another way of saying that the state owns and should raise our children. But let's put aside idolatrous notions about the state for a moment and reflect upon the value of that kind of sentiment. Our Christian home, as you heard last night, is bigger than our individual families. Our families are part of a bigger family, a bigger household, the household of God, the covenant community, the visible church. You heard last night, again, from the word that in Christ we are one body with many members. No member is an appendix, needless part of the body. So to the degree that we cut our marriages and our families off from that broader life of the communion of the saints, our marriages and our families will suffer. They'll even shrivel. We need each other. It takes a church to nurture a Christian marriage and to raise godly offspring. Take worship, for example. Each individual marriage and family ought to be regularly engaged in private worship, setting aside time for the reading of the word and prayer together. But scripture also teaches that we are all together corporately as one new man in Christ called to come together, not to neglect gathering ourselves together and drawing near together to the throne of grace. The pattern of regular worship and you guys who are preparing for marriage and for family life need to start thinking about your commitment to this now. The pattern of regular worship will set a tone for the life of your marriage and for your Christian family. More, to, more than setting a tone, it will give to your marriage and to your family the orientation it has to have and it needs to have and it ought to have. That Godward, God-centered, God-exalting orientation. This is why we're here. This is why we're together. This is why we're married. This is why we have children. It's for Him. The Dutch used to have a joke about Dutch evangelism, right? Um, meaning having more children. The purpose of that, though, is, is, I think, on target. God needs, He doesn't need, He wants more worshipers. He deserves more worshipers. So that's why we have families. That's why we seek to have children. See, that orientation's different, right? It's not preserving my legacy. It's God's going to have more worshipers. I get to have more members of the family around me in the, before the throne of God in glory. How wonderful is that? So worship gives us that orientation. It reminds us that we don't live for ourselves, but for him. It reminds us that this world is not our home, our place, and that our people consist of more than just those right next to me, those living in my house and maybe blood-related to me. The family's bigger than that. And the children are learning that as that pattern of worship is, is set before them. It sets the marriage and the family as Scripture calls it, on the way, the way of righteousness, the way of covenant faithfulness. It founds and forms our lives upon and around God. 
Worship as uh, and submission and service is life pattern. Worship is service to God. Submission and service to God. That's literally what the word worship actually means. Service. When we submit to God and serve Him, that is worship. When we do this together, we call that corporate worship. That's when the whole family comes together. Now, when we submit to and one another and serve one another, we're not worshiping each other, but we are worshiping God in those acts on a day-to-day basis. It should be the case that every single day we are worshiping God. Every single day in the relationships that we have, we are offering ourselves up to God as living sacrifices. That's what Paul says in Romans 12:1: present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But then he goes on to flesh that out. It doesn't mean you're just in your closet praying all the time. It doesn't mean you, you go off and join a monastery and just read scripture all day or seminary. Um, he fleshes that out by saying, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Romans 12, 3 through 5. This again tells us we need our marriages and our families to be actively involved in the service of the church. Serving one another in this broader family, the community of God. Faith without works is dead. Worship without submission to one another and service to one another is mysticism. True worship, then, worship in spirit and in truth, is a, is a life pattern. It's a life participation in the one who came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus is our life pattern. The one we worship, the one through whom we worship the triune God, and the one whose life was and is a living sacrifice offered to God in worship. And that's our life and our identity. And now, um, discipline and accountability as life adjusting in the outline. When When we become members of the church of Jesus Christ, we vow to submit ourselves in the Lord, to its government, and to heed its discipline, even in case we are found delinquent or in doctrine or life. You ever wondered about that last clause? It sounds like awkward English to me sometimes. I'm reading it. Even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life. I, I sometimes think, well, of course, that's the only time you'll ever have to worry about that, right? Especially in case. No, what it means is you're always under the context of the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Even when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, but even when you're not, even when you're walking in the way of faith, the gentle or the great shepherd of the sheep is always at work. He's always guiding you. He's always correcting you. The Spirit is at work sanctifying you. This is the discipline of the Lord in your life. We are all and we are always disciples of Christ 
learning daily of him, learning obedience, the word faithfully read and preached, the sacraments rightly administered, church discipline, properly executed prayer. These things disciple us. They adjust and renew our minds. They work on our hearts and lives in ways that we would not do and could not do by ourselves. This is especially true when we're found to be delinquent in doctrinal life. A, uh, a husband is abusing his wife and his family, emotionally, uh, physically, or otherwise. He's forgotten to die to himself. He's forgotten to die to that anger. And he's forgotten to live as Christ in the midst of his family. He's behaving as one who is enslaved to the desires of the sinful flesh. He's being disobedient and rebellious against his Lord, and he won't listen to the pleas of his wife or children. He won't repent. He's not going to hear it from anyone. Church discipline should be enacted. The man needs a more direct and serious adjustment, a more stringent strike of the staff of the shepherd, as it were. As it were. See, this is important. Your marriages and your families, or future marriages and families, need to be situated in such a context where there is accountability. You don't want to rely on the, the civil magistrate to do that anymore. They're not going to come in and, and help you sort things out. They're going to come in and take your kids away. But in the church, there is a structure of accountability and a structure of discipline that you should not neglect. It will help. It will help your families. God made promises in his word concerning the preaching and teaching of his word, concerning the faithful exercise of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and we ignore or neglect those to our spiritual detriment, to the detriment of our covenant marriages and families. God has given these visible means of grace. He's given these means of grace to the church, visible, whereby he will sanctify and correct and restore, and adjust. He will renew. He will refuel you. God, by these means of grace given to the visible church, strengthens our marriages and families. And all of this is what you guys already need to be thinking about, talking about, praying about. If you're, if you're not married, let it ruminate. If you are married, let it ruminate. <laughs> And talk about it later, these kinds of things, how important these are in preparing for marriage and family life. All right, now, handouts. I had a couple of volunteers, I think. I have 50 of each of these. Um, there's a lot more I could say, but I don't have all that time. So one of these is parenting tips, and one of these is tips for healthy and happy marriage. And uh, you can look over those, and um, Pastor, Pastor Lim will be happy to talk about them during the discussion time. No, I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> no I, I'll happily take any questions about those later. All right, let me close this in prayer. <clears throat> Merciful God, we thank you so much for guiding us, for instructing us, for helping us see things the way you see things. We pray that we might live according to the way that you see things. And you have called us 
in your word to live. We pray that you would be at work in those who are preparing for marriage, even now, sanctifying their hearts, their minds, preparing them to, uh, to fully embrace marriage in all of its wonder and mystery and beauty as the gospel defines it, and family life as well. We pray that the church would be a constant support of marriage and that um, marriages and families would uh, find that they cannot exist and thrive well apart from uh, fellowship and worship and service in the church. Um, do help us take all these things to heart today, for we would glorify you in these fundamental institutions that you have ordained. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>